the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insights from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Welcome to 2023, a year of living history, a Fox News radio special. This was a year of historic, never-before-seen, first-of-its-kind events, which had an impact not just on the last 12 months, but will continue to resonate in the future. Join us as we spend the next two hours looking back and ahead. This is Benjamin Hall. We've been covering two major wars this year. Both of them are very different, but also very connected. One is in Ukraine, where the country is still trying to hold back the Russian invasion that started in 2022. And the other is in Israel, where the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, are trying to destroy the terror group Hamas after they attacked Israel on October the 7th, killing around 1,200 civilians and taking 240 people hostage, including women, babies and the elderly. The subsequent war has so far left over 18,000 Palestinians dead, including at least 7,000 Hamas members. In fighting Hamas... Israel is not only fighting for its own people, it is fighting for every country that stands against barbarism. The war in Ukraine is the largest invasion of a country since World War II, and the U.S. and the West rallied behind Ukraine, giving them weapons and funding. Despite this, however, Russia remains dug in, with its vast trench network along the east of the country holding back the Ukrainian forces, even during the widely anticipated spring offensive. And many people, including Ukraine's top general, are now calling the war a stalemate, Something President Zelensky said to me in an interview wasn't true. I think that we had success in Crimea. We had success in Black Sea. We really destroyed it mostly the part of Russian fleet, the Black Sea fleet. Having not succeeded in capturing Ukraine at the start of the war, President Putin is now playing for a longer war and using Russia's vast manpower to keep the pressure up. Upwards of 300,000 Russians are thought to have died and over 100,000 Ukrainians. Instead, Putin is hoping that over time, support from the US and Europe will start to disappear. And there are hints he may be right, with critical funding held up in Congress. In Israel, the war also looks likely to have long-lasting implications, while the country tries to get back its hostages from Hamas and destroy the terror group. One relative of a hostage, Ofri Levy, said that Hamas, the attack, has shattered the country. I don't think there's one person in Israel that's, that doesn't know someone being kidnapped or missing or, or killed during this war. Inside Gaza, the death toll continues to rise, with over 18,000 dead, and most of the 2.5 million residents are now displaced with limited food and supplies. There was some hope for conclusion when a pause was arranged for a few days in November between Hamas and Israel that allowed 100 Israeli hostages to be released in exchange for 240 Palestinian prisoners being held in Israeli jail while allowing aid to go in. But that ended and Hamas has refused to allow more hostages to be released. President Biden has said Israel has the right to defend itself. There's never justification for terrorist attacks. And my administration's support for Israel's security is rock solid and unwavering. There is also growing criticism of Israel around the world as countries start to say that the civilian death toll of Palestinians is getting too high. Israel says clearly that Hamas is responsible for each one of those deaths because they're the ones using civilians as human shields. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will build, eventually, a better country. We'll create a better future for everyone, for us, for the Palestinians, for the Middle East, a future of hope. A future of a normal life, not a future that is dominated uh, by these monsters who will uh, who break every norm of humanity. Stay tuned. More to come on 2023, a year of living history in just a moment. This is the Montana Economic Minute. 
Promises are one thing, policies and performance are another. Saying that you'll cut carbon emissions by one half by year 2030, less than seven years away, is easy. But making good on those commitments is quite another. When you bring in the fact that in order for reductions to impact climate, they must be carried out globally, it adds up to a massive overhaul in energy production that will require enormous investment. A recent study by consulting firm S&P Global looked at how a global transition to carbon-free energy might impact the demand for copper. An important concession to reality in the S&P study is a recognition that other factors, most notably the industrialization of less developed countries, will increase the global appetite for the metal as well. The upshot is that copper producers will need to refine twice as much copper by 2035 than has ever been produced, both through mining and recycling. How exactly are we going to do that? I'm Patrick Barkey. Brought to you by the University of Montana Bureau of Business and Economic Research. At Renewable. Who is Zoe Zephyr, the radical transgender lawmaker from Missoula, Montana, who cheered on the transurrection attacking the Montana House of Representatives? Aaron Flint here with Montana Talks. That story, uh, clearly, by far, the number one story based on Montana page views for 2023. We compiled the top 23 stories for 2023 here in Montana. Go to MontanaTalks.com. You can see that story, the full list, and much more. Welcome back to 2023, a year of living history, a Fox News radio special. President Biden has said Israel has the right to defend itself. There's never justification for terrorist attacks. And my administration's support for Israel's security is rock solid and unwavering. There is also growing criticism of Israel around the world as countries start to say that the civilian death toll of Palestinians is getting too high. Israel says clearly that Hamas is responsible for each one of those deaths because they're the ones using civilians as human shields. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will build, eventually, a better country. We'll create a better future for everyone, for us, for the Palestinians, for the Middle East, a future of hope, a future of a normal life, not a future that is dominated uh, by these monsters who will uh, who break every norm of humanity. There are also fears that the war could ignite a regional war, with Hezbollah warning it could fire more rockets the longer the war in Gaza goes on, while Iranian proxy forces in the area continue to attack U.S. forces in the Middle East, with two U.S. carrier groups in the region, some of them having to shoot down rockets which were fired from Yemen. For more on that, we are joined now by Fox's Trey Yinks, who has covered both conflicts throughout the year. Trey, I'm speaking to you right now. I know you are out there in the field. You're near the Gaza border. Um, so I wondered if you could start telling us briefly about what it's like covering this conflict. In a country that you have been living in for a number of years, suddenly it is in a full-blown war. What's that like? Yeah, absolutely. It's been an adjustment in terms of coverage because we were here in the south of Israel on October 7th when the massacre was taking place. And so it's been quite a developing story. The early days it was, was trying to get basically focused on, on what was taking place, what was happening, trying to understand the true scale of this tragedy, and then understanding what the Israeli response would be. And so that is what we're covering right now. So it's a developing story and a lot of moving parts. And of course, sort of many people seeing that the response from, or the support from the U.S. is wavering, a lot of talk that perhaps Israel should pull back, consider 
more more the ceasefire. But I wonder if we could talk also about the region. I mean, I know what's happened there, but this has also set the Middle East back quite a lot. You know, we were at a point before that where countries were reaching out to Israel. We potentially had a Saudi-Israeli deal uh, moving forward. That's all fallen back. So what is this conflict really done to the stability of the Middle East in a wider sense? It has started to deteriorate to a point where there are real questions being raised about the possibility of a broader regional war. We've seen dozens of attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria, many of them conducted by Iranian-backed Iraqi Shia militias. But also you have the Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen. You have Hezbollah, a major threat to Israel, and they're firing daily. And so the feeling on the ground and, and the officials that we talk to is that the region is one miscalculation or mistake away from a much wider war that risks dragging in Israel's allies like the United States. And I wonder if you just stop with Iran. I mean, if you talk about the sphere of influence, you know, we have some people are talking about Iran and the relationship with Russia and their relationship with North Korea and perhaps with China thrown in there as well. And, you know, when you look at what's happening in Gaza right now, uh, you have to also look at what's happening in Ukraine. And that is a story, of course, that you have covered many times. You and I were there together uh, last year. And um, in, in what ways are these two conflicts connected? I know President Zelensky has said that the eyes of the world have moved away from Ukraine, they're focused on Israel. Do you think that this really does affect what's happening in the Ukrainian battlefield? Yeah, I, I think it does. And as the world attention shifts away from that war, it it does make it more difficult for the Ukrainians to receive that critical Western support on a broad scale, but also down to very specific things, like the amount of artillery shells that they receive. We know that some shells that were ultimately meant to go to Ukraine ended up in Israel. Uh, they're using, in some cases, the same artillery as, as they fire into Gaza, and the Ukrainians target uh, Russian positions in, in territory that they are currently occupying in Ukraine. And so I think there's the connection there, certainly in terms of the focus of the world. And we know well just the reality of these conflicts is that after months, sometimes years, but usually months, the attention span of the average person, it, it moves on to the next large story. And then I think when we look at how we covered these stories, I, I would actually contrast the two because it was, it was clearer, I think, in Ukraine, the lines of where the the invader and and those that were, were invaded and when we talk about ukraine right we, we were there we saw the russians invading this sovereign country in eastern europe in terms of this conflict we it, it's a lot easier for us to see what's happening to the civilian population inside gaza for example they are facing this conflict directly. The Israeli civilian population faced this conflict directly. Largely, the Russian civilian population has been insulated from, from the conflict. And, and I think that's one takeaway that I, I see when I look at these two conflicts, is that the civilian population in Gaza and the civilian population in Israel has been directly affected and continues to be directly affected. In Ukraine, the civilian population was targeted directly. The Russians, despite some small drone attacks and, and small incursions, largely was not directly affected by the ongoing war. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. So there we are, two wars going on at the moment, trying to cover both of them. Similar in many ways, but so different in so many others. And 
Trey, it's you know, always a pleasure to see you out there reporting. You are the eyes, the ears of all of us back at home. So thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And thank you again for all your work. Thank you, my friend. 2023. Do you remember this? I'm John Saucier. A freight train carrying hazardous materials went off the tracks in East Palestine, Ohio on February 3rd. Officials at Norfolk Southern Railroad did a controlled burn to release hazardous chemicals. Many residents of the town started to report bizarre health issues after the derailment. Stay tuned. More to come on 2023, a year of living history in just a moment. Securing America. As Border Patrol sources tell Fox News, there have been more than 200,000 migrant encounters in the month of December. And as a migrant caravan of thousands travel through Mexico, Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas made the trip south to Mexico City. Officials say the meeting with President Andres Obrador focused on the, quote, urgent need for lawful pathways and additional enforcement actions by partners throughout the region. Talks also include reopening ports of entry across the border. Back home, Republican members of Congress, like Kentucky's Andy Barr on Varney and Co., aren't impressed. This administration refuses to follow the law and, frankly, refuses to protect the homeland. Senate Republicans and Democrats are currently trying to negotiate a deal on border security reforms in exchange for passing President Biden's emergency spending package, where over $13 billion would go towards border security. In Washington, Ryan Schmelz, Fox News. Liberal Senator John Tester pretends to be just an everyday every man, but yet he's racked up over $1.2 million in restaurant bills at fancy Washington, D.C. restaurants. You know, I'll tell you what, that's why I'm really glad I went through Billings' last diet. Because, you know, man, I got back from my last deployment. I was putting on the pounds and uh, couldn't get them off. And, you know, the thing is, is when, when you get in that lifestyle where you just eat too much, it also gets to be really expensive, especially with the, the John Tester Biden inflation that we've got going on right now. So so thanks to Billings last diet, not only did I lose 33 pounds in under three months, I've kept it off four years later. But I'll bet you I've saved a lot of money. Uh, I've saved a lot of money where I'm not just going to get fast food because I feel like I need to eat right now. Uh, you save money. You lose weight. But more importantly, it's about your health. It's about being around for your kids and your grandkids. Check it out. It's the program that works. Billingslastdiet.com or call 294-6751. If you can plan barbecues and weddings, you can plan to protect yourself from a natural disaster. Sign up for local alerts, prepare an emergency kit, and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov slash plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. He is not squishy, and he is definitely not a journalist. He is Dan Bongino, and you can hear him each weekday, 10 to 1, on News Talk 103.3 and AM 970. New News Talk 970 and 103.3 FM KBUL. Your home for Fox News, Hannity, Bongino, and Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. Good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year from us here at the Western Ag Network. I'm Lane Nordland, and it's time for the Daybreak Egg report. Well, as we begin 2024, I wanted to share a few of the top stories that we covered here on Western Ag Network's radio, TV, and social media coverage over 2023. The second most popular story that we had on radio and social media was a conversation that I had with Montana rancher and leader in the Angus cattle business, Mr. Joe Goggins. The interview came from Angus Convention 2023 in Orlando, 
And this was the question that I asked him. In, in your mind, how, how do we keep the family ranches going? I think number one, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of leaving the uh, scenario of these ranches staying generational. And that's really how rural America, how America was built, uh, not just in, in agriculture, but as a lot of small businesses throughout the America have been a, a very generational type scenario, and we're losing that. And I think uh, the only way we're going to combat that is we as an industry have got to unify. We have got to come together. We got to quit throwing rocks at each other. We got to quit uh, suing everybody. We got we have got to come together on some ideas that will increase margin, that will increase and incentivize young people to not only want to be able to do this, but be able to do this. And, uh, and on top of that, I think we've got to uh, come up with some incentives for people to leave their land in livestock production. I think there's ways of doing that, but we have got to have a real serious conversation. That was our second most popular story in 2023 with Joe Goggins. We'll have the most popular story next. We're excited to share that Northwest Farm Credit Services is now AgWest Farm Credit. AgWest is here to provide the financial services you need, a dedicated staff to understand your business, and the commitment to helping you grow your best future. It's how we've been serving farmers and ranchers for over 100 years. Grounded by tradition, inspired by possibility, call or visit agwestfc.com. Equal opportunity provider and employer equal housing lender. Hi, this is Tim Larson with Sydney Livestock Market Center in Sydney, Montana. I'm a member of the Livestock Marketing Association, and I've had a front row seat to the loss of livestock producers across our area. This is a critical threat to our industry and our nation. Producers face growing challenges with input costs and the ability to access land for livestock production. The clock is also ticking on tax policy that could have dire consequences for our industry. Let's get active, get talking, and create a brighter future for us all. Learn more at producerprofitability.com. Returning back with our most popular news story on the Western Ag Network in 2023. It was back in March when reporter Chad Colby shared this big news story. If you love farm machinery, then you're going to love this. Big equipment company out of Montana and Rome Agriculture Equipment out of Georgia are building the new Big Bud tractor. It's coming back. After a 40-year break, this thing is returning to construction sites and to our farm fields. A lot of my friends are already asking, when are they coming out? What's all the details? Call the guys at Big Equipment up in Montana. Trust me, I know their phones have been ringing. As you can see right here, I took these video footage before the show opened this morning. And the reason why, because this thing has been crawling with people. And if you do a little look, work on social media, you'll certainly see there's been a lot of videos and a lot of talk about this tractor, rightfully so. It belongs definitely back in our fields. Again, that was Chad Colby reporting from Con Expo in March 2023, the biggest story on Western Ag Network last year. I'm Lane Nordblad. Welcome back to 2023, a year of living history, a Fox News Radio special. I'm Ryan Schmelz in Washington. The start of 2023 and a new Congress may have been a sign of things to come. That was easy, huh? 
I never thought we'd get up here. Congressman Kevin McCarthy took 15 rounds to become Speaker McCarthy after a number of House Republicans fought against his bid, wanting a number of concessions like a vote on a term limits bill and a balanced budget amendment. But the specific demand that may have been McCarthy's downfall was his decision to change the motion to vacate. The change meant one member could bring Congress to a standstill until the motion to remove the Speaker was voted on. I rise today to serve notice. Mr. Speaker, you are out of compliance. Congressman Matt Gates filed the motion, telling Congress he was angry over a number of issues, like McCarthy stopping a government shutdown by putting a clean funding bill on the floor that lacked conservative priorities. The move to oust McCarthy passed thanks to every Democrat voting for it, and those same Democrats would join Gates and seven other House Republicans in making McCarthy the first speaker in history to be removed by a motion to vacate. That left allies like New York Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis furious. Republicans need to learn to stick together, and we need to learn that we've got to fight the Senate Democrats, not each other, who want to get something done. The race was on to elect a new Speaker of the House, and lawmakers couldn't pass any bills until that was done. Three weeks of closed-door meetings, internal elections, and campaigning would dominate the congressional headlines. The nominee could only afford to lose a few votes because of the GOP's slim House majority. Republicans first nominated Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who ran into similar establishment criticism that McCarthy faced. After dropping out, Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan will win the nomination and face a rebellion from moderate members. The Speaker has not been elected. The conference voted to oust Jordan as the nominee after he failed three times on the House floor. Third time wouldn't be the charm with House Majority Whip Tom Emmer, whose time as the nominee only lasted a couple of hours until he realized he didn't have the votes either. And after a fourth closed-door conference election, Republicans turned to their conference vice chair, a relatively unknown congressman who'd only been in office since 2017 by the name of Mike Johnson. Fourth time would be the charm after every Republican voted to elect Johnson the 56th Speaker of the House. We've learned a lot of lessons, but you know what? Through adversity, it makes you stronger. In December, McCarthy announced he was leaving Congress and would not seek re-election. Things weren't quiet on the Senate side either. Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, a former college football coach, was the major line of defense for getting military promotions across the goal line. Tuberville spent much of the year protesting the Biden administration's military policy that reimburses service members who travel for abortion, which he argues is unconstitutional. Congress never voted for this. We also never appropriated money for this. Tuberville faced criticism from both sides of the aisle, with those like Republican Joni Ernst arguing he hurt military readiness, service members, and their families. Tuberville finally relented in the first week of December, removing his hold on more than 400 nominees and those up for promotion, opting to only continue blocking 11 individuals slated to become four-star generals. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer moved immediately to approve promotions. Amid the chaos, Congress will have plenty of work at the start of the new year with a government funding battle shaping up in January that will most definitely involve negotiations between the House and Senate. Ryan Schmelz, Fox News. The Year in Business. I'm Hillary Barsky. Inflation continued to weigh on Americans as 2023 started. The Federal Reserve countered with four more rate increases and then paused, though Fed Chair Jerome Powell said it would take more than a few reports to convince him inflation was retreating. A few months of good data are only the beginning of what it will take to build confidence. 
that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our goal. In October, the consumer price index finally was flat from the month before, though the annual increase, 3.2%, was still far from the Fed's goal of 2% inflation. Phil Orlando, chief equity market strategist at Federated Hermes, says higher interest rates and inflation forced Americans to pull back on spending. The Easter season was only up 1.7%. The the back-to-school season was only up 2.8%. Those numbers substantially below where they were a year ago. The consumer is stressed. Higher interest rates squeeze regional banks that had invested in treasuries paying lower interest. Bank customers were using their phones to pull out money of their Silicon Valley bank accounts. SVB failed and was taken over by regulators. A week later, Signature Bank also closed. Then regulators seized First Republic Bank and sold most of its assets to J.P. Morgan Chase. Powell reassured bank customers that the banking system was sound. There were three large banks, really, from the very beginning uh, that were at the heart of the stress that we that we saw in early March, the severe period of stress. Those have now all been resolved and all the depositors have been protected. The FDIC says all three banks exhibited weak risk management and ran high levels of uninsured deposits. High mortgage rates depressed home sales in 2023. Homeowners who locked in low mortgage rates didn't want to sell and give them up, and first-time buyers were facing rates as high as 8%. Sam Bankman-Free, the boy genius who founded crypto exchange FTX, was convicted in November of stealing billions of dollars from customers. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams of the Southern District of New York. The cryptocurrency industry might be new. The players like Sam Bankman Freed might be new. But this kind of fraud, this kind of corruption is as old as time. And we have no patience for it. Crypto prices rebounded in the fall as investors anticipated the Securities and Exchange Commission approving an exchange-traded fund based on crypto in the U.S. A dozen firms, including BlackRock, Fidelity, and Franklin Templeton, are seeking approval for a Bitcoin ETF. The job market slowed but continued to show resilience through 2023, with levels of hiring and layoffs remaining consistent with healthy employment. The United Auto Workers conducted a targeted strike against General Motors, Ford, and Jeep's parent company. Company Stellantis on September the 14th. After about six weeks of striking, the UAW agreed to contracts with at least 25% pay increases. UAW President Sean Fain vowed to organize non-union automakers. As Stellantis, we not only secured a record contract, we have begun to turn the tide on the war on the American working class. And we truly are saving the American dream. The hottest stocks of 2023 were connected to artificial intelligence. NVIDIA went from a chip maker for high-end video games to an AI powerhouse with a stock market value of more than a trillion dollars. Investors are betting on AI to transform technology, providing answers or making predictions from just a simple user request. Hillary Barr Ski Fox News. 2023. Do you remember this? I'm John Saucier. Five people aboard a 22-foot-long submersible heading to the Titanic wreck were lost, including the co-founder of the company which owned the watercraft. On June 18th, the Titan imploded in the depths of the North Atlantic, killing all on board and sending off a multi-agency search for answers. More to come on 2023, a year of living history. Fox News commentary. Rite Aid has been banned from using facial recognition technology for five years. I'm Tommy Laren. More next. 
new on the Fox News Podcast Network. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. It had nothing to do with her disappearance. I sit down with the people who lived the nightmares. I was in shock. I was just devastated. The investigators who tirelessly worked on the case. I really hope that they can catch this guy. Bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Listen and follow now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Theft, especially from drug and convenience stores, has been a growing problem around the country, and now one retailer will have one less tool to fight it, facial recognition technology. The FTC has banned Rite Aid from using the technology for five years after allegations the chain used it incorrectly to ID shoplifters, many of whom happen to be people of color as well as females. In federal court, the FTC alleged the drugstore chain utilized facial recognition technology that led to thousands of false matches. Rite Aid customers were also unaware the technology was being applied to them. Look, faulty technology isn't helpful to anyone, but can you blame retailers for trying to fight back against repeat shoplifters? The government has failed these businesses by allowing thugs and degenerates to target them over and over and over again with little to no repercussions. I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can watch my show Tommy Lahren is fearless at Outkick.com. Saving you money, I'm Hillary Barsky. The old adage cash is king no longer seems to ring true as phones take on more of the work of wallets and people rethink how much they still need to carry in cash. Four in ten Americans say none of their purchases in a typical week are paid for using cash, according to a survey from the Pew Research Center. Still, those who do carry cash, on average, it's about 67 bucks as of 2021. And if you still like to carry cash, how much should you keep even for emergencies? The Wall Street Journal spoke to financial advisors, executives, and security experts for advice on the best approach. One advisor recommends $30 just to cover small transactions while many add that paying in cash might help curb overspending since the emotional impact of spending with bills is greater than paying with a phone or credit card. And if you want to forego cash altogether, financial advisors say you should leave home with no more than two or three credit cards. Saving you money, Hillary Barsky, Fox News. Welcome back to 2023, a year of living history, a Fox News radio special. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. When former President Trump became the first Republican to announce he was running for president in 2024, the analysts and the pundits wondered which legal case would be filed against him first. Earlier this afternoon, Donald Trump was arraigned on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg said in April that Trump's accused of having his former attorney Michael Cohen pay off an adult film actress to keep quiet about an affair she said they had in 2006. To make these payments, they set up shell companies and they made yet more false statements, including, for example, in AMI, American Media Incorporated's business records. Trump denied the allegations, but the Manhattan DA's office said the payments back to Cohen were illegally disguised as money for legal services. After appearing in court on April 4th, Trump spoke at a rally. My lawyers came to me and they said, there's nothing here. They're not even saying what you did. The criminal is the district attorney because he illegally leaked massive amounts of grand jury information. 
A little over two months later, the man appointed a special counsel in the federal investigations against the former president announced an indictment over keeping classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Jack Smith said they belong to the National Archives. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. Less than two months later, Smith added new charges against the former president, including an allegation that he tried to delete surveillance video at Mar-a-Lago, as well as an additional count of retaining national defense information. Then on August 1st, Smith announced another indictment in D.C. relating to January 6th. Conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. And then two weeks later, the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, Fannie Willis, filed charges against 19 people, including former President Trump. They're all accused of a conspiracy to try to overturn the election. Trump faces 13 counts, including a racketeering charge. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Charges also include criminal attempt to influence witnesses, conspiracy to commit election fraud, impersonating a public officer. Part of this is an accusation that the Trump team put together a group of fake electors who would theoretically represent Trump when it came time for the Electoral College to tally votes in their favor. Four defendants, including attorneys Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, and Kenneth Chesbrough, pleaded guilty. A little over a week after Willis announced the charges, the former president surrendered to county officials and had his mugshot taken. He spoke afterward on the tarmac in Atlanta. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. Now, apart from these four legal cases, a jury in New York found Trump liable for sexual abuse that then-writer E. Jean Carroll's had happened in a department store in the mid-90s. She was awarded $5 million. And in another civil case in Manhattan, Judge Arthur Engeron found Trump and his sons, Don Jr. and Eric, liable for fraud over accusations they inflated real estate assets to obtain better loans. Trials for the four criminal cases are set to begin on various dates between March and August of 2024. We're now joined by former Chief Assistant U.S. Attorney and Fox News contributor Andy McCarthy. Andy, of all the criminal cases facing the former president, which one is maybe the most serious or could be the most impactful? Well, Jessica, I don't think there's any question that it's the election interference case, which is a federal prosecution in the District of Columbia brought by Jack Smith. One of two cases he's brought as the Biden Justice Department special counsel. I I say that it's clearly the most important one because the way things seem to be teeing up, I I think it may be the only one that actually gets to trial in 2024. Both of these cases, though, that involve allegations of trying to overturn the election, right? The the Jack Smith case filed in D.C., as well as the Fannie Willis case in Fulton County, Georgia. They might be federal and state. But what they have in common is these allegations of overturning the election. And both of them mention this so-called effort to create a group of fake electors. That was a a huge part of this. So for those of us who wonder how that all worked, can you, Andy, remind us about getting people together who'd be willing to say what, that that Trump won in their state? That, That alleged scheme, it seems like it's significant if you're trying to prove both of these cases. 
Yeah, although I'd say, Jessica, one thing that is along the lines of it being significant that's very telling is the government, the federal government, has never charged anyone with fraud arising out of that. And I think the reason for that is that the electors themselves, what are called the fake electors, according to them, they understood themselves to be what, what would be more accurately described as contingent electors. In other words, they ah. said that they were willing to be substitute electors in the event that Trump prevailed in either the litigation in those states or the effort to try to get the state legislatures to revisit the election. But they said that they didn't try to suggest that they were the officially appointed state electors. They're, what they were saying is that they had to get together by December 14th because uh, by federal law, that was the day the Electoral College voted. But in the meantime, the litigation was continuing and that they were only going to be available to be electors if Trump won you know, the litigation or the other legal efforts in the states. Now, what Fannie Willis says is, well, that may have been what they said they were doing, but they filled out all this documentation and they sent it to Washington. And these people are going to come back and say, well, we filled out what we were told to fill out on the contingency that we were available if Trump won the, won the cases. But we weren't okay. trying to, you know, we weren't trying to defraud anyone. And that's why I think it's telling that if they did what Fannie Willis accuses them of doing, then they've committed a significant federal fraud. But Jack Smith has never charged anyone with it. So, you know, I think that's a t it's a tough case, but it's obviously a very important part. And of course, because this is Trump, it's more complicated than that, right? So well, there's, two, there's two different schemes involved, right? There's one, one involves the electors themselves and what their understanding of what they were doing was. Then there's the scheme that involves Trump and the people at the higher level of what, what the prosecutors would call the scheme, like, uh, you know, Giuliani and Eastman and, and those people. And what the government alleges is with respect to them, they were trying to use the fact that they had assembled these alternative electors as an argument to Vice President Pence why he shouldn't count the electoral votes. So there's two different, there's two different understandings involved. And the, the people who are charged as fake electors may not even have known that this other thing was going on. All right, Andy. Well, to that point about the former president, you know, when he was charged in the, in the Georgia case, that was the last case, right, that he faced charges in earlier this year. And he would, you know, said, I think it was on the tarmac of uh, the airport at Atlanta, that this whole thing of him appearing in court in these multiple cases is the Democrats' campaign strategy. If you look at polling, do you think there's some agreement from at least some in the public that he's received some boost from all of this? Yeah, I, I think I not only think it's a strategy, I think it's a strategy that's working and has worked up until this point. I don't agree with President Trump or I think he's only half right about what the, the strategy is. I, I think the indictments are designed to help him win the nomination because the Democrats want to run against him. And their strategy has always been the indictments would galvanize the Republican base to back Trump. They make it very hard for any other candidate to get traction because of all the news about Trump and the cases involving Trump. But then what ultimately happens 
is one or more of these cases get tried further down the road in the campaign schedule where you shift, you know, once Trump has the nomination clinched and right now he's a prohibitive favorite, what happens in the end when all the bad evidence comes out is the audience is no longer the Republican base. It's the country broadly where Trump is not nearly as popular. You know, there's parts of it where he's intensely unpopular compared to his standing with the Republican base. So I think their strategy is to get him nominated and then kill him in the election in November. That's at least what they, I think, expected to get out of this. And there's a good reason to think that it's been successful. Former federal prosecutor Andy McCarthy, and of course, all around good guy. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Jessica. Great to talk to you. Stay tuned. More to come on 2023, a year of living history in just a moment. Well, they say there are certain things that shouldn't be brought up at the kitchen table, but not here at the Duffy's. So pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. And we're going to share some real-life solutions as well to the everyday issues that you all talk about. And we're going to talk about some of those things that we agree on. And some that we don't. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Your morning espresso starts right here. It's the Sean Hannity Morning Minute. Well, watching Kamala Harris say, oh, yes, I'm ready to take over as president. I'm like, oh, no, you're not. You really overestimate your capabilities. Uh, you are not ready for that job. But my favorite part of that interview was when she said, oh, no, I've been there. Joe, if, first of all, let me say our president has an extraordinary leader. What an extraordinary leader he is. And who has accomplished things the previous presidents hoped and dreamed and promised that they would do and did not achieve, she said to the AP. I see him every day, she continued. Well, I see how his ability to understand issues and weave through complex issues in a way that no one else can. She's lying. The Sean Hannity Show from coast to coast later today. With everything going on in the world today, the war, the inflation, the geopolitical tensions, $33 trillion in national debt, it's no wonder people are looking to diversify their savings with gold and silver. But who does Sean Hannity choose for his gold and silver? None other than the top-rated precious metals company, Gold Co. Gold Co. is a seven-time Inc. 5000 winner with over 5,000 five-star reviews, and they've helped thousands of Americans place over $2 billion in gold and silver. They're Sean Hannity's top choice. And right now, they're offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver for Sean Hannity listeners. But it's first come, first served, and only while supplies last. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-815-GOLD to learn how you could get started today. Tell them Hannity sent you and see if you qualify for up to $10,000 in bonus silver. Call Gold Co. at 855-815-GOLD. That's 855-815-GOLD.
Montana Harvest, where people get healthy. Brought to you from the Montana Hot Spring Spas and Saunas Live Well, Feel Better Studio. Welcome back to 2023, a year of living history, a Fox News Radio special. I'm Jeff Manasso. There's been more than 10 million encounters of illegal immigrants entering the U.S. since President Biden took office in January 2021. The Customs and Border Patrol's numbers all records. I want to be very clear. Our borders are not open. Embattled Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas during a recent Senate hearing on Capitol Hill over border funding, also once again telling us that President Biden's border policies are working, though with pushback from Republicans like Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. Either you're not qualified to manage a Costco food court, or you believe in open borders. And pushback from Democrats and independents like Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema. Policy must be changed in order for us to get control of the situation on the border. As the busing of migrants continues from Texas to so-called sanctuary cities to alleviate the burdens of border towns and overwhelmed agencies. With states of emergency declared in El Paso and Democratic Mayor Eric Adams, New York City. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. In Chicago, taxpayers say they're fed up with the loss of parks, community centers, and tens of millions of dollars in precious resources. Turn the buses around. Turn the buses around. You want to take the little scraps of resources that we have and put us at the bottom of the the migrant crisis prompting efforts by some aldermen to get rid of Chicago's sanctuary city designation. Efforts that Democratic Mayor Brandon Johnson and his allies continue fighting. To Mayor Brandon Johnson, we are disappointed in you. This is the community that supported you. How dare you? Big city mayors last month in D.C. begging for billions of dollars in federal funding to deal with the migrant crisis. The president did not attend that White House meeting with the administration continuing to blame the border mess on the GOP. They choose what they choose to do is play politics, but the person the president has put a plan that is indeed uh, the data showing is that it is indeed uh, um, stopping, slowing down the flow uh, of unlawful migration. And that is because of the work that this president continues to do without without the help of Republicans. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, though the Biden administration ended Title 42, a Trump era remained in Mexico emergency policy as the president continues fighting efforts in Texas and Arizona to limit the flow of illegals through water and land barriers. And though President Biden campaigned on not one more inch of border wall, he waived 26 federal laws this fall to resume building a portion of border wall in South Texas. He says only because pre-appropriated border wall funding had to be spent. There's nothing under the law other than they have to use money for it. I can't stop do you believe the border wall is? No. Polls show the border wall and immigration are now top issues for voters headed into the 2024 presidential contest. The border problem also deadly for Americans with fentanyl overdoses becoming the leading cause of death for people here ages 18 to 45. And CBP's record number of encounters in the last three years also includes over 1.7 million so-called gotaways who are now somewhere here inside the U.S. There's also been dozens of arrests of of illegals on the terror watch list.
Coast. Border Patrol reports that just in the month of October, there were 13 terror watch list arrests on both the southern and northern borders, the highest October ever recorded. Jeff Manasso, Fox News. I'm Gianna Gelosi, and for the past year, I've been recapping the biggest true crime stories making headlines all across the country. 2023 kicked off with the arrest of Brian Koberger, a 28-year-old criminology PhD student at Washington State University. Hey, have you ever heard of the name Frank Whetstone? Apparently, this small-town Montana guy was a big part of creating the Reagan Revolution in the 1980s. Hey, Aaron Flint here with Montana Talks. We've got a very special Montana political history program coming up for you with Monday's Montana Talks. That's right, Monday, January 1st, 2024, New Year's Day. Very special program. Former State Senator John Brennan out of SCOBY and Summit Cigar Lounge proprietor Greg Franks for a special program Monday. 